On this episode, data shows how human he's become by losing it at work. Picard acts rebellious to impress an older woman. Anthony Zerba learns that beauty can be fatal, and we find out what happens when you don't break up a two-part episode. I'm Captain Awesome. And I'm the Tribble Hippie. Welcome aboard. Grab a station and find something to hold on to. There are no seatbelts on the bridge. Hey everybody, welcome to No Seatbelts. Uh, we're digging into the Star Trek universe. This time we're talking about the movie Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, released December 11th, 1998. And uh, the second movie directed by Two Takes Frakes. His second and last of the franchise. It's not necessarily a good thing that he's never going to direct anymore, but or any more <laughs> than movies. I don't know. I, I actually quite like him as a director. I like the stuff he does. Um, I think he works really well with the cast. Uh, but, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, I totally agree because he'll go on to direct many, many episodes after uh, after uh, TNG movies are over. And uh, I th- I believe both him and LeVar Burton are actually two of the better directors for uh, the television series, to be honest. Yeah. And I mean, can you believe that LeVar Burton is so good at it? I mean, with that visor, you'd think he'd be able to see really crap. <laughs> Man, he's really, he's got an eye. <laughs> it is amazing. Right. So Frakes wanted uh, this movie to feature Q in it, but that didn't really work out. Um, and this is just a side note. This is the first Star Trek film in which there will be no models for the exterior shots. Everything's going to be CGI in this one. So... I'm not going to say, you know, the shark looks fake, but I got to say it does definitely change the look of things. Like if you, when you're watching it, like things are a little too slick at times. Uh, you know, shadows aren't, aren't quite as good as they were on the models. I don't know. I, I, I didn't like it as much. I really liked the models. But then again, I'm also kind of a purist, right? Yeah. There's a certain luster to the CGI, especially of this particular time period that kind of, that kind of hits and gives it almost a, uh, I, I polished a little bit too much of a polished feel. Um, yeah. I mean, 1998, we're still talking, you know, that everything has more of an animated look to it. It's, we still don't get that real heavy realism that comes along in the next 10 years. Yes. Yes. And uh, now uh, this movie, the effects would not be done by industrial lighting magic on this one because they were working on Phantom Menace at this time. So the special effects on this were actually done by Santa Barbara studios. Now, I would say it's arguable, though, that that Star Trek got the good end of that stick because the special effects that went into Phantom Menace, ugh, they were terrible. <laughs> they did want it. They didn't want it good. They wanted it Thursday. Right. <laughs> um, now, this film is actually unique as there are absolutely no star dates in this film. So trying to nail it down specifically when it is. And the Star Trek universe is, a, we know it's between 2375 and 2378 because we know that it's happening during the Dominion War, um, but before Nemesis. So it's somewhere in that three-year period right there. And at this point, that also places Voyager firmly in the Delta Quadrant. Yes, yes. So lots so those, of Star Trek going on at this particular time. Right. Well, I mean, this is this is really the heyday of of the TNG universe, right? Yes. We we've just finished TNG. We've got deep space nine and Voyager going on. Everybody's talking about, you know, there's a new show that's going to be under development soon. 
and everybody's getting really excited about it. So this movie was kind of a slam dunk if you think about it, but you know, it's a Star Trek movie, so that's rolling the dice no matter how you <laughs> how you do it, right? This this is peak Berman. This is peak Rick Berman uh, era. Oh yeah, right. I don't know. It, you know what? It, all in all, I don't think it's a bad movie. It's not necessarily a good movie, but it's a movie. And <laughs> the problem is, it's it's a two hour long episode of Star Trek. Yes. That, could have easily been shoved into the 40 minute format. Yes. Yes. Agreed. And I mean, if anyone has seen the, uh, uh, the two parter gambit, which is a, a Star Trek next generation episode, uh, one of my favorites that actually probably had a stronger story than this movie did. Um, and yeah. this movie was victim of a lot of changes as lots of movies are. Um, Cause we're going to go from, having this be a Romulan Federation story to know we're going to make up an entirely new bad guy, which I'm never quite sure is a great idea for a movie. Ugh, uh, last movie we had the Borg. So we're familiar. People know what the bad guy is. Um, you, you look at the, at Star Trek two, a villain people know con you look at Star Trek six Klingons. Um, I'm not a big fan of just inventing new bad guys just out of nowhere for a film. I, I think it, I think there's some uh, name recognition that kind of goes into uh, making a good Star Trek film. And uh, of course, now that I've said that when we move to the next movie, we'll find that <laughs> that didn't save it at all. Um, in fact, Rick Berman was so upset that the Romulans weren't in this movie that he made sure they were in the next movie. Um, God, which, he concentrated the Romulans and made them even more powerful. <laughs> Jesus. Now this movie does introduce one of my favorite villains of all time. And that is the F Murray Abrams. F Murray Abrams. F Murray. I can't say his name. F, F. Murray Abraham. Right. It always comes out. Abram. Abram. Yeah. I, th- I think Abram. that's the way that they, uh, they taught us how to say it when he was in, uh, he was uh, getting up for the Oscar for Amadeus. And then oh, he had to tell yeah. everybody that's not the way that my name is. pronounced. <laughs> Uh, well, there you go. I, that tells you that I'm that old. <laughs> um, all right. So the, uh, the synopsis also reads like an episode. Um, when the crew of the enterprise learn of a Federation conspiracy against the inhabitants of a unique planet, Captain Picard begins an open rebellion. There you go. <laughs> Airs at uh, 7 p.m., 8 central. <laughs> was so that, we, that was we, a UPN. What was that, Fox? I think, I think it aired on Fox originally. Ah, anyway. TNG? Yeah. Um, syndicated. The first of its kind. All syndicated? The original TNG, yeah. Oh, interesting. So yep. it could have been anywhere. Produced by Paramount and, uh, and was syndicated. Hmm. which we'll talk about when we do encounter at Farpoint. Hell yeah. I can't wait for Farpoint. That anyway. that will have lots of interesting, that'll have much more interesting things than. than That's because <laughs> encounter at Farpoint is bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so back to this movie. <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> so we, we open on an idyllic scene because once again, 
there is something about Star Trek that every alien planet has to be in idyllic scene. <laughs> Any advanced civilization has an idyllic scene. They walk around in fields of wildflowers and they're always sitting around playing some unique children's game. Sometimes they're walking through the center of a village and there'll be a, a fountain with a strange stone sculpture on it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Shire. It's like they're opening on the Shire. <laughs> no, they built the set at, uh, what was it? Lake Sherwood, California. Yeah. And there was an original, there was a more elaborate set that was originally built and it got ruined by rain. So right off the bat, uh, uh, Johnny two takes is, uh, is fighting against the weather. And Can you believe actually... that though? Like you're going to plan to do this, this star Trek movie and you get rained out in Southern California. <laughs> oh man. I wouldn't bet against that. God is trying to tell you something. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, um, you know, maybe we should concentrate on star Wars this year. <laughs> oh wait, no, that's not going to go well either. <laughs> so, yeah, so, they, 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 oh, go ahead. No, no, God, take it. So they, we, we see the idyllic village and then all of a sudden the camera pans up and we see that we're actually looking through a view screen, some kind of weird window with a little strange rectangle in the middle of it. And it's, it's a bunch of Federation people looking at all of these idyllic scenes. <laughs> it's it, it, there's a there's a creepy division of Starfleet that just really really likes to peep. Well, let's be honest. There's a huge amount of Starfleet technology that's built around peeping toms. <laughs> I mean, transparent aluminum. Come on, <laughs> these guys were working on this for years. Now, I I do find it interesting that cloaking technology is absolutely not allowed in the Federation. Unless you're talking about like people or caves or pretty much anything the Federation doesn't want you to look at. Just like they're ships. real, right? Just not ships. Well, I mean, unless they're the ships that the Federation wants to cloak, then, you know, it's fine. But anyway, not, no, definitely not the ships. Yeah. Cause yeah, I mean, I, oh. we see this on, on uh, Mintak and uh, on the episode who watches the watchers, which there'll be a lot of callback in this episode to that episode, but it's one of those things of, okay, I get the idea that you want to study these cultures, but if you have a prime directive, have a prime directive. Right. Not this, this, well, we don't want to mess with them, but we still want to put technology on their planet that doesn't belong there and then peep at them through that. That's, uh, well, and the thing that bugs me about this is they've proven time and time again on this show that they have the technology to like zoom in and see them from orbit. Yes. They can observe anything they want from orbit, but no, instead they choose to transport futuristic technology that could absolutely rock a civilization to its core <laughs> right next to the village. Like, you know, the little kids walking around are like, dad, why can't I go play on that mountain? <laughs> well, sir, don't worry, son. I know that Hill's like right next to your elementary school, but don't, don't ever go there. That's where the demons be. This is part of that same thing of not having seatbelts on the bridge. People in the Federation are just way, way too overconfident of their technology. They just constantly believe this isn't going to happen again. Okay. Right. It happened 43 times before, but not again. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> how could that ever happen again? <laughs> Drives me nuts. Um, 
gosh. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the people, so they're watching the people and then all of a sudden you hear a ruckus specifically what kind of ruckus would be laser blasts. And, and what and, I really like is the timing of this because the music gets dramatic first before the laser blast and the people start looking around and it's hard to tell if the people are reacting to the soundtrack or to something else. And then you see the labor. Okay. That, that, there we go. That's <laughs> all right. So Ryan Reynolds, a new guy tells us that yes, they were reacting to the music because <laughs> Ryan Reynolds was constantly like, why is the music like that? What's going on? <laughs> So they, they had to be reacting to it because, you know, they're basically NPCs. <laughs> so it turns out that this ruckus is laser blasts. And one of the, the uh, individuals involved in it is Data. And how do we know? Well, we see Data's head. <laughs> <laughs> also, the fact that True did form for Data, he can't shut up. <laughs> he just starts spitting out diagnostics there's like data why are you running around doing stuff because at this point he's running around just causing a total ruckus and and he's basically just doing a verbal diarrhea it's kind of like you, the dashboard on your car when when everything goes wrong everything just lights up data just starts rolling through hey this went wrong with me and now this went wrong with me well i mean I think I'm okay with this more so than uh, on thine own, thine own self, that episode where he had to save a prehistoric or a, a, a uh, what would you call him? A Renaissance style village from the radioactive isotopes he brought with him. Oh yes. Yes. And he lost his memory once again and couldn't figure out how to, how to do anything. And he was like, um, what is soup? And it's like, <laughs> come on, there's gotta be a backup subroutine or something. I kind of like the, the, uh, I am in diagnostic mode. I don't like the diagnostic mode in includes trying to murder everybody, <laughs> but you know, I like, I, I don't want to, you know, push test button on my toaster and have it try to kill me. <laughs> it seems like a terrible idea. A little bit of poor planning there, you know? Well, the toast didn't come out right, but I'm pretty sure my toaster's ethical moral <laughs> subroutines are intact. So luckily it didn't attack me. <laughs> It's still got the three rules. It's the only thing that's in the firmware. <laughs> I don't and, know. And I, I do think that, that data's he's got a little remorse about poisoning that last village. So maybe he just purged everything. I don't know. Uh, he, he definitely works very differently this time. <laughs> and we get a good shot of Danley Hugh Kelly, who I personally know as McCormick from Hardcastle and McCormick. Wow, now there's a callback. <laughs> God. <laughs> Man, I watched that when I was a kid too. Also, in a, it was in an episode of Star Trek, so there's a nice uh, connection there. Wow. Unfortunately, that's that's, that 65 vet he had in that show was not in an episode of Star Trek. But, you know. Wow. Are, are you sure? Um, <laughs> nobody drove it off a cliff or anything? <laughs> oh, sorry. It's, that's still... <laughs> Burns my buttons. <laughs> yes. Drove it off the huge cliff in Iowa. Yeah. That huge the cliff Iowa cliff in Iowa. <laughs> hey, you don't know. That's, that's in the future. In the future, there could be a grand, I don't know, canyon of some sort. <laughs> I, I assume the Zindi came back at some time and took another pot shot. And this time they did right. in, in, uh, in uh, Iowa, which <laughs> people weren't near as upset, I guess. 
Is when they did right? it to Florida. They're like, oh, you killed like four cows. <laughs> that sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the folks in Des Moines. Um, <laughs> so Data, he, he's walking around shooting at everybody with his head sticking out of his camouflage, right? <laughs> so there's there's a, a, dis, a disembodied head floating around. And then Data's like, no, screw this. And he tears off his clothes. <laughs> and I mean, he's still wearing Data clothes underneath. But and what I love is, is that then he's like, screw this. I'm in diagnostic mode. I'm going to reveal everybody. And he <laughs> shoots at the, the force field and turns it off. And suddenly everybody sees the duck blind. And the <laughs> look on all their faces like, oh, no, we've been caught. And it's quickly replaced by, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic like, that his moral and ethical subroutines include dirty looks <laughs> oh totally <laughs> he's looking at him like uh-huh no now what are you gonna do now when i first saw this my first reaction was tequila because first of all he gets in a fight then he starts shooting the place up and then he starts peeling his clothes off and i'm thinking at this point okay yeah he's just drunk that's true that's true to, you should not let the uh, the androids do shots. It's a, <laughs> a really bad idea. <laughs> that that needs to be like tattooed somewhere on the instructions, somewhere on the back of neck or right. something. You know, <laughs> I you know I was wondering about that the other day. I I was reading through this stuff and I was like, huh, I wonder if Data's got like warning stickers tattooed on his back. <laughs> <laughs> like warning, risk of electrical shock. <laughs> <laughs> do not submerge in water. <laughs> we would hope that Dr. Soon would be that forward with thinking, but I have a bad, we, we right. see his, his uh, dedication to finished work and it's not, it's not great. <laughs> yeah. The one that really should be easier to see is the do not smoke within 45 feet. <laughs> Bet you didn't know that data was it was uh, exhausting flammable gases, did you? <laughs> so our next scene brings us to the Enterprise. Woo. Enterprise E, and we get to see the first uh, the first occurrence of the white dinner jacket dre- dinner jacket dress uniforms. All right. So to put this scene in perspective, Picard is standing in front of a mirror, getting himself ready for a diplomatic event, and. Beverly is in there and she's totally being his butler and like making sure his jacket's straight and fixing his collar and checking his buttons and all this stuff. And, and Deanna's in there and she's like, like checking off his calendar and telling him what time he's got to do stuff. And I'm like, I, I don't understand when did they become his personal assistants? <laughs> it's doesn't, it's so bizarre. Once again, we're back to the thing that six people seem to do everything on the enterprise. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think he would have a uh, some kind of uh, not servant, but assistant who worked for him. Like he's a captain who's in charge of over a thousand people. There was a if time I was when in the work, had yeomans, right? If I was, well, maybe that's the problem. Kirk uh, messed it up with Young <laughs> Rand. There you go. That says a lot right there. HR thing with Jim Kirk. <laughs> Kirk and, and and you know what the worst part is is he was just eating on the bridge that's that's really the problem he was eating on the bridge the yeomen were tired of standing there waiting for his plate oh dear I went to four years of the academy for this right 
And then, so he gets done dressing himself up and everybody just comes rushing in and they're like, Oh, are we all ready to go? Let's do this. <laughs> and they start walking out and somebody mentions that the, the diplomats they're going to meet are vegetarian. And Picard says, tell chef to prepare a light balsamic vinaigrette chef. Yeah. So we've, we've now got a chef again on the enterprise E. Does that mean there's also a kitchen again or a galley? No more replicators. I'm going to guess that there's both. I'm going to say oh. this, that there's probably restaurants and fast food. Oh. But I'm purely guessing on that. Of course, maybe the thing was that um, after, no, after getting contact with Voyager and finding out what they were doing, you know, mm-hmm. guys became a little upset. It's like, how come they get to have a cook and we don't? I could be. Either that or Chef is some kind of like software program. <laughs> it's like, I don't know crew health <laughs> energy based foods and i don't know I, I think we might do a little more research than just say oh give them a balsamic vinaigrette you didn't know they were vegetarians to begin with you might right. want to look a tad bit deeper into exactly what you're feeding them yeah cuz you know while humans love a nice delightful vinaigrette you are feeding an alien species a caustic acid <laughs> <laughs> might want to think that through <laughs> <laughs> but I guess we're uh, we're we're looking at so Franks is doing a a nice job of of portraying the crew's familiarity and friendship and camaraderie, which I get that this this movie they might take it a tad too over the line a, a little bit, but I see, I see where he's going with this. We're we're these are people we know. They know each other. We're happy that they're happy. Yada, yada, yada. We're so happy that you're happy. (laughs) Now, the fact that they're so happy while this is in the depths of the Dominion War is a little odd because, again, the Enterprise is the most advanced starship in the fleet. And, well, but the thing you need to remember about the Dominion War is that only happened on DS9. (laughs) (laughs) Like uh, Enterprise was never involved with that. Kirk was like, or Picard was like, oh, that's the wrong show. I'm sorry. We can't come help you. I'm not scratching. I am not scratching this nice, beautiful ship by taking it into battle. I'm, I'm sorry. My ship is only CGI. Uh, you're you're going to need one of those physical ships. Um, I, I also like that as he's walking, he gets a message from uh, an ensign who's like, sir, can you tell me that your, uh, your estimated time of arrival? And he just stops talking to her and starts talking to the rest of the crew <laughs> and then strikes up another conversation and never answers the ensign. She's just sitting there with an open mic. Like, all right, jerk. What are you going to, you going to answer me? When are you going to show up? Or either that, or you want a dramatic effect. He's like, she's like, when are you going to show up? And he's like, shh, 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 shh. here I am. <laughs> and he just walks in the door. <laughs> My I know I do that to my wife all the time. She'll right. be like, right? <laughs> my wife will be like, "What? When are you getting here?" And I'm like, "Uh," and I just don't answer the text. And then I drive up and <laughs> walk through the front door. <laughs> so they walk in and they come face to face with who? With Worf. Who? Of course, it's Worf. Should be off again fighting the Dominion War, but not today. No, he had a dinner party to go to. 
All I can think is Picard finds reasons to get Worf on the ship just because he's trying to pump him for for gossip about Cisco. Right. Do you know what, what does his chair look like? <laughs> <laughs> does he look better in his battle vest than I do? <laughs> <laughs> What's what are what are they wearing out in the Bajoran sector nowadays? <laughs> Does this earring make me look fat? <laughs> <laughs> so, because Picard is a is a man of uh, of diplomacy, we get to see him greet the aliens and wear a funny hat. Dude, that funny hat is real good too. <laughs> I, I love that. Like he sits there and he he puts up with this, and the the alien thing puts the 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 hat on his head, and he's like, "Oh, uh, nobody told me about the stupid hat." And <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. And then somebody comes and talks to him, and he walks away and immediately takes it off. And all I can think is that diplomats over there, like, "Are you kidding me? Did you did you guys see what he just did? He just took that right <laughs> off his head." That's it. These, these talks are over. I'm out of here. In the mean, in the meantime, I can't help but imagine the aliens going. So you know, I gave him, I gave him one of those back massager things. You know, <laughs> he put, put it on his put head. Down, put it on his head, dude. <laughs> I mean, seriously, awesome. how do you not do that kind of stuff if you're going to ha- be in alien relations, <laughs> right? Like, all right, th- this is our ceremonial head rub. I put peanut butter on his head. He didn't even know it was food. <laughs> hey, listen. In my culture, we shake feet. <laughs> they have a big ship with lots, lots of weapons. I'm just trying to even the even the field just a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So he gets a call and he, he stands aside to try to figure out what's going on. And it's Admiral Doherty who says, data's acting funny. <laughs> Which Picard's like, yeah, yeah. He's been trying out that humor thing for <laughs> quite a while now. Not that kind of funny. <laughs> and I, I really love the fact that Jordy, Jordy comes and tells him this and he tells Jordy, hey, could you set up a private comm link over there on the okay, this is the head engineer for your ship. And you're asking him, hey, could you set up a conference call, a Zoom call for me? That'd be great. Thanks. Okay. So I work in tech and we have an IT department. And I can tell you that as a professional who works on computers for a living and understands very, very big billion dollar enterprise kinds of systems, I can't set up a conference call to save my life. I need IT to do that for me every time. Perhaps so I was pretty ones. impressed. Yeah. I was like, wow, Jordy knows how to do that. <laughs> Picard was just like, could, could you do it? Because I really don't want to call those IT guys. I honestly uh, right? do not. <laughs> they always tell me that if I turned it off and back on, I don't know. Also, can we talk about how incredibly hot Lavar's looking as Jordy this time? He is fit. Like, dude, he really worked out for this one. He's a, oh man, I hope to God that when I get to be hit, a grown up like him, I, I look that good. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm older than he was now, <laughs> but still. Yeah, I have to say, the, the dude is held up. Um, <laughs> so then another guy walks up to Picard. And introduces himself as Picard gets done with his phone call. Uh, Harz Adeslo. 
in his paper on thermionic transductance. Transconductance? Transconductance? Ther- ther- yeah. Thermionic transconductance. There we go. There we go. And he just wow. blows him off. Well, I mean, of course he's going to blow him off because he's boring and stupid and nobody wants to talk to him. <laughs> and we know that's because he's a bullion. I got to say, I don't understand what it is about bullion hatred. Everybody hates the bullions. These poor guys, they, they do everything that involves being friendly. They're like the nicest species across the galaxy. And everybody's just like, oh, screw those guys. They're blue. <laughs> like, ew. I don't understand it. I want to know what their species did to get just crapped on like this. <laughs> no, now there's, there's an entire uh, Paramount Plus series right there. Right? I, I kind of want to see it. Like the Bolian Demise, episode one. Now, interestingly enough, I did find an article. I, I was looking up, you know, why are Bolians always these, you know, servile characters or are characters that are just like on for a second, or, you know, ba- not background. They still get speaking lines, but why are they always just kind of these ancillary characters? And uh, one of the articles that I found said that it was specifically because of the fact their makeup is super easy to do. Um, because basically they literally run a shoelace up the center of their face and put makeup over top of the shoelace and then paint them blue. Done. Uh-huh. You got a bowl in. <laughs> I was like, holy crap. That's so cool. <laughs> no wonder they're everywhere. Cause that, that is, that's super easy alien makeup. <laughs> throw a bullion in there. We, right. We got an extra 17 minutes, throw a bullion in there. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Excuse me. So Admiral Doherty is played by Anthony Zerba. Anthony Zerba. Now, Anthony Zerba to me is there's two roles that I'm always going to remember about. And that's going to be, first of all, as the bad zombie leader in Omega Man. The for those who don't know, Omega Man is the um the I am legend of its day with Charlton Heston instead of Will Smith. Mm-hmm. Um and then the most beautiful credit in his IMDb to me is playing the Phantom in Kiss Meets Phantom of the Theme Park, a movie Gene Simmons has tried to erase from history, but still exists. Um, I've seen it three times. And uh, did, did they have a giant dog with them? <laughs> did Anthony Zerba at the, at the end of it go, you know, I would have gotten away with it too if it wasn't for you, Kiss. Huh? Did there? You kid? Uh, anyway, it, it it has it has the great at the very end of the movie, and I'm just going to throw this at the very end of the movie. It has one of the great cinematic lines of all time. He made Kiss to destroy Kiss, and he lost. Oh, now, wow, you're going to have to watch the movie to really get all that because it's too much to get into. But I mean, it does sound really deep. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a. Uh, it's a line that is, has stuck with me today. And I have to, anytime, anytime I take something too far, I have to think to myself, did I make kiss to destroy kiss? Cause I feel like I lost. When, when we're done with all the star treks, we're going to have to start <laughs> on, on all of the kiss movies. <laughs> <laughs> now for the part of Doherty, uh, um, uh, Stuart really wanted Brian blessed to do the part of, of Doherty, which I'm big Brian blessed fan. Um, loved him in I Claudius, um, flash Gordon. 
Um, and uh, did you did you really like him in Flash Gordon? Because I've seen Flash Gordon, and he's the best part. Actually, I've seen Flash Gordon with you. Yes. Well, okay, he is pretty good in that. Um, <laughs> man, when you get it, when you get a tubby English guy, you know, wearing speedos, true and wings and a helmet, have have to say, and and a Shakespearean actor, a Shakespearean, you know. Yeah, the fact that he's a Shakespearean actor—that's that's pretty good. I don't know. I, personally, I'm a big fan of all of his uh, his work in Peppa Pig. That's <laughs> that's really classic. Uh, for those who don't know, he's Grampy Rabbit. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or Wizards versus Aliens. There's another. Uh, real gem. Yeah. God, he is just the best B actor. Oh my god. <laughs> Let's go back to the '60s. I know a lot more of his stuff from the sixties, three musketeers. He was great in that. Um, I think he was in the fourth musketeer too, wasn't he? Yeah. Anyway, I can go on and on. So one thing I didn't know about him is that he was actually, he actually trained as an astronaut. He, uh, blessed did over 800 hours of astronaut training in star city in Russia. And, uh, he is still the first person on the waiting list for uh, civilian flight on uh, Russian course with, today's politics that may no longer be the case but he really really was hoping to get to go to space that's pretty cool i mean to be the first civilian in the line to go to the space station that's that's so cool i I can't even imagine that's dedication 800 hours of of training and everything that's that's some serious dedication although now he's got to be what um older than he was uh uh, quite a bit older yeah let's let's put it that way (laughs) Yeah. Uh, let's see. He was born in a year, definitely a year, 1936. Yeah. So he's, he's coming up on 90. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he might've slipped a few places down in that. Uh, Nine plus so- three is 12. Yeah. He's four. He's 86. Yeah. That's about right. So, so just going to go out there and say big fan of Brian Blessed. Heck Yeah. So Gene Hackman and Wilfred Brimley were also on the short list f- to play Admiral Doherty. Um, Wilfred Brimley, America's grandpa. <laughs> I <oof. laughs> would have been awesome because when they have the big, uh, you know, discussion in the ready room, you know, well, as I get on you, well, John Luke, it's the right thing to do. Jason, way to do it. Um, so Zerby actually was originally supposed to be cast as the bad guy as a Rolfo in this. Um, and I don't exactly understand how this affected anybody's decision, but it was all over the internet that when he auditioned for this, he started just by reciting major portions of Dante's Inferno before he started mm-hmm. going into the dialogue. And Jonathan Frakes thought, that is awesome. You're going to be the Admiral. Now, I, all right. I, I love me some F. Murray Abraham. I really do. Oh, me too. Uh, this season of... Uh, 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 the, the most recent season of, uh, white Lotus. So good. He's fantastic. In it. Anyway. Uh, and also, uh, mythic quest. Oh, he's absolutely great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's in the first, what? Three seasons. I think. Yeah. He, he's, he's excellent in an innocent man as well. Uh, uh, with Tom Selleck. I don't remember that one. He, pl- that he plays the, uh, he plays the longtime uh, 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 pr- uh, prisoner that teaches Tom Selleck the, uh, the ins and outs oh. of uh, living in jail. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's the uh, he plays Red to Tom Selleck's Andy Dufresne. And and that and that entire movie will kind of get lifted and put in the middle of the uh, uh, Planet of the Apes movie when uh, when Caesar gets uh, you know locked away. <laughs> I am not kidding, people. If you watch that Planet of the Apes, just all of a sudden, you know, which one is that? The one where uh, was uh, with Marky Mark? Was it? Wait, wait, no. Are you talking about the original ones or the new versions? The new versions. The the James uh, Franco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, I don't know, uh, Return of the Planet of the Apes, Re- Planet of the Apes 2, Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> um, I don't know. There's, but they're I'm, terrible. I'm serious, folks. When, when the Caesar gets locked away, it just, it, it, you could, you can watch an innocent man and watch that. And it's the exact same film there for about, <laughs> for about 40 minutes. <laughs> It's weird seeing F. Marie Abraham in the monkey suit. <laughs> super weird. No, my my point was is so as much as I like him, um, I, I got to say the the decision to make him Raufo instead of Zerba, meh. I, they could have gone either direction with oh, that. Yeah, I, yeah. Either one of them could have played either one of those roles, and it really wouldn't have changed the movie at no, all. No, not at all. Unfortunately, I, I just don't think the movie was strong enough for it to matter. That was very well put. so picard continues talking he's like you know we could like go there if you want (laughs) doherty's like no don't go there don't don't do that (laughs) could we have a meeting it's more of an email thing really right (laughs) and of course doherty wants to know about data's emotion chip or no not doherty uh picard wants to know about data's emotion chip and And he tells him he didn't take it with him yeah. So the last movie, they made a huge deal about the fact that he couldn't take it out. It was like fused with his system. So why does he now? He's now he's like, Oh, I, I put that in my spare San Francisco in the 1800s head. <laughs> like what, what the hell? There are a lot of things about this movie that we're just going to do that because it makes the movie go forward. Right. Yeah. Which again, it's just like an episode of TNG. <laughs> the, we're not really going to pay attention to Canon this time. We'll work on that next time. <laughs> so Picard's like, you know what? Screw you. You're off the phone. I'm just going to do what I want. <laughs> which, which again, I mean, it, Picard, uh, movie Picard has just decided that chain of command, which TV Picard was kind of a stickler for chain of command. Mm-hmm. And now he's pretty much just decided I'm a movie star. Now I don't need to do that. My name, came, right. my name comes before the admirals in the billing. So I get to do what I want. TV show Picard would have destroyed an entire planet. If his boss said to do it, <laughs> now, he would have stared pensively at the fish and thought about it. And he would have told, you know, whoever entered his, his ready room, just how bad he felt about it, but he'd still do it. Yes. And he, my duty says that I must do this. <laughs> it sounded like Worf. Oh, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> Something about not having kids on the ship anymore. It's like, he gets away with a lot more. Like, you know, do you think there's no kids now? I haven't seen any kids on that ship. Uh, that's a good point. They, they turned it. Oh, he did say, remember when we were an exploration ship? Ah, uh, Yeah. Yeah, now now he's full on accepted. Yeah, we're pretty much a warship. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. 
Oh, we were watching the mirror universe the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) So our next scene's on the Sona ship, which, which CF Marie Abraham. Yes. And his incredible makeup process. It took the, the makeup process, which is supposed to make it look like he's kind of decaying or he's, he's, he's not doing well. It, It took four hours every day to, get this thing going and he he could not smile if he smiled he ruined the makeup job they had to retouch it up if he smiled at all which Ephraim abraham is a pretty pretty funny guy i can imagine that must have been kind of a chore yeah um i i have to admit the skin effects in this totally reminded me of doctor who uh the episode with uh lady cassandra (laughs) o'brien where she's just a piece of skin stretched across a loom (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it just there's wow. there's some aspects from uh from brazil too uh, terry gillum's brazil yeah yeah totally yeah i didn't i didn't think of that until just now um also um i have to admit in my memory of this movie before rewatching it i totally thought these were people affected by the phage and yes. i was like i i couldn't put the timeline together in my head and i'm like wait a minute why are people that are affected by the phage in the alpha quadrant, they should be in the delta quadrant. Yes. And I was totally confused. And then I was like, oh, wait, no, no. These are just really vain people. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the phage, just for folks um, in Voyager, um, the phage is a disease that is killing a race of, uh, of aliens. And they basically steal organs from other beings to replace their diseased organs to try to keep them going. And yes, we found out about them for the first time when they transported Neelix's lungs out of his body, Boy, which was the first time that Neelix was an enjoyable character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he couldn't talk. So (laughs) Neelix turned into one of the best characters in that show, but (laughs) at first he was not. (laughs) At first it was kind of like, really, really? Yeah. (laughs) He did have an amazing Mohawk though. (laughs) Anyway. So this so, part of the bad guy Frakes actually originally wanted Schwarzenegger to play this, which is a totally different movie. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> God. I, I, Cause it, this is, this is after, uh, uh, Mr. Freeze, right? I believe so. Yeah. So you can imagine that Arnold probably wasn't up for four hours of makeup a day to be in a bad movie. Well, I mean, yeah, this is, Oh wow. It's the year after Batman and Robin. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, like, like, I, I'm I not just, doing that again. Right. <laughs> you know, his quips would be great though. <laughs> you can't win if you have no skin in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop or I'll, I'll come up with more and then it'll be bad and it'll go on for forever. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't really understand the whole purpose of the plastic surgery stuff. Like, they really made a big deal about it. I mean, there was like face stretching machines and like staple guns and blah. Yeah, and, and I think you nailed it. I think Frakes was just basically giving uh, uh, Patrick Stewart some crap for having some work done. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> um, I I did like so we're we're introduced to to F. Murray Abraham and he he goes and sits in a plastic surgery chair and they literally pull his scalp back and then. They re-staple it tighter. 
and they use a stapler. It's gross. <laughs> it's like right into his skull. So Blah. one of the behind the scenes things that I read said that uh, Berman and a few of the other producers actually went and witnessed some plastic surgery procedures in Beverly Hills to come up with ideas of, of what they wanted to see in the, in this scene. Gross. Yeah. Can you imagine though, you're getting your scalp stapled and the plastic surgeon accidentally spun the, the stapler thing around so that the, the ends of the staples go the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> Going to have to pull those out. Yeah. Right. So we, we go back to the, uh, um, Blah, 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 blah. No, we're still on the, the Sona bridge. We, we pan around and we see all of the amounts of background actors that are in this scene. And it's hefty. Yes. Now, this is something really, really cool because it looks like Frakes went out of his way to find a bunch of people who had been in Star Trek before to fill the, the background spots of this movie. Totally. Well, Frakes gets credit for that, but I, I'm going to bet it was the uh, the casting supervisor was like, no, I'm a fan. I want to, I want to do this right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's something that's a cool thing about Star Trek when you get to see people, you know, come back and do stuff again. Cause Oh, totally. On this one, you see Bruce French right away, which he plays, uh, uh, the, uh, Beta Z, uh, Sabin off of yep. the episode, the Drumhead, Um, and you'd recognize him from many other things as well, but, uh, um, really, really excellent, uh, part in that, that particular movie. Bruce French always plays a super uptight guy because <laughs> unfortunately for him, that's just what his face says. <laughs> I'm a super uptight guy. <laughs> and then we got uh, Joseph Ruskin who actually was in uh, an episode of the original Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh Galt. He was the, uh, the keeper of the fighters on gamesters as a triskelion. Um, um, you would probably know him best as the dude with the beard and the glowing eyes um, <laughs> it was kind of his thing. Um, but he was in episode deep space nine, uh, the house of quirk. Uh, he was, I think he's in like four episodes. Oh, of DS9, yeah, you're absolutely he? right. He's in a number. He was in Voyager. Yeah, so um, he came really close to pulling off the, uh, the, all the star Trek series. He missed TNG. He was never on TNG. Yeah, the, you're absolutely right. Yeah, because he yeah. was in Enterprise as well. Wow. Yeah, it's a it's a heck of a of a uh, resume there. And then we're also going to see Rick Worthy, who uh, you have him down with a bunch of things. Oh. I recognize him most as uh, as Noah Lessig uh, um, from the Voyager episode Equinox, which one yep. of my favorite episodes of all time. Um, well, so he was also in, uh, on Voyager. Uh, they went to a planet that was populated with, uh, nothing but robot people. And, uh, he played automated unit three, nine, four, seven, as well as automated commander one, two, two, uh, which basically meant he took off one helmet face and put on another helmet <laughs> face. Uh, but he was also in DS nine. And he was also on Enterprise. So he also came very close to covering the uh, entire spectrum. Dang, 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 dang. One of my favorite things that he's known for is he was one of the models of Cylon on the new Battlestar Galactica. So he got a lot of screen time in that one. That's right. And he was real good. And then they just shot him out of hand. And it was just like, (laughs) come on. (laughs) 
Anyway, <laughs> and then they shelved his whole line and just ah, the whole thing pissed me off. Anyway, so the the bridge of the Sona craft basically is a who's who of uh, of Star Trek players. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's good stuff. Obviously, Data doesn't like that too much because he just shows up, and starts taking pot shots at their ship. Yeah, Data's like, "Hey, we got you off the show already. <laughs> <laughs> None of you guys were on TNG." Boom, boom, boom. In a in a shuttlecraft that I have never seen a shuttlecraft like this before. This is a completely different design. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah. Um, they all seem to know what it was though, because they were like, "Hey, uh, that's that's not or that's not supposed to be shooting at us." They knew what it was. Yeah, it was kind of weird. Anyway. So data is on the attack and they're just trying to survive this attack. So we flip back to the enterprise cause we don't really need to watch this crap. <laughs> <laughs> and what do we do? We see Picard walking onto the bridge and Deanna's in the center seat. Deanna's actually in command for a bit. Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. Um, I, you know, at least she got to not crash the ship. Um, <laughs> she got to, to drive it successfully, which, you know, I'm sure made, uh, Marina Sirtis quite happy. Um, and then immediately she stands up like, Oh, Oh, everybody's here. I, I gotta get out of the seat now. <laughs> so you pointed out that Riker came onto the bridge with Picard because when I first saw this, it looked like he was there and she was in the center seat. So it kind of looked like like she was at work and he was just hanging out with her, you know, while she was at work. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it was quite like that. I think it was supposed to look like he was just coming in with Picard. I got you. Even though I think the reality of the situation is he got out of the director's chair and walked across <laughs> the other side of the set. Uh, it was like, Oh, Oh, that's my scene. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and so Picard's like, Hey, uh, Worf, I need you to, to get data. Because we haven't filled your job since you left. Now, right. I, I get that there's a war going on, so we're probably having some hiring issues and staff issues and everything, but it's been a while. And well, it yeah. just shows up and whoever your head tactical guy is, you tell him, take a back seat. Right. Which, have you ever noticed that he was never in tactical on DS9? <laughs> Like why, what is that? He was just a security officer on DS nine. He was he, he just wanted strategic. Oh, he had a different title. Yeah, exactly. The kind of title you give somebody who doesn't have a real job. Yes. Yes, exactly. His job was to hang around and have lunch at the Klingon cafe. <laughs> um, the thing that I found interesting about this though, is that Picard's orders are go talk to Jordy. He's going to give you a remote to turn off data. And first off, when did data stop being serviced by sickbay and start being serviced in engineering? Cause like uh, he didn't used to, it used to be that Jordy knew about stuff, but data went to the doctor and then the doctor would be like, you know, cause the doctor knew stuff. Like I know where your power switch is. I'm not going to tell anybody, you know, that's private. You don't want to show that off. I get it. And so this was, it was a consistent thing. And then all of a sudden in the movies, it was like, no, 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 you go see Jordy for everything in engineering. And like in engineering, they've got a, a rig to hold data that like can yes. put him on display in front of everybody. No, I just, I think it's an HR issue, but also number two, they could have shut him off at any time. They are, they already knew how to make a remote for that. <laughs> like, 
How many times could that have come in handy? Like Data's been kind of a jerk on a lot of occasions. It would have been really nice to just be like, oh, he's doing it again. Click. <laughs> or, hey, his brother Lore is back. Click. Click. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't we have one of these years ago? I'm seriously confused as to why aren't we just beaming data into the brig? Oh, we can't do that because transporters are weird. Um, (laughs) So nobody actually knows how transporters work. (laughs) We have sensors. There's only one Android on the entire planet. Why are we just not going boop, beaming him directly into the brig and then we can deal with him. Well, and that also goes back to my same thing of before. Like they have cameras that can look at things like from orbit. Why can't they scan the planet and go, Hey, there's data right there. Yes, He's the only mechanical man. <laughs> <laughs> and that bit you talked about, that'll come back later as well. We'll, we'll discuss their, our ability to scan people and, uh, and not scan people yeah. because there are some holes in this story. Yeah. Which so make it make made it a slightly better movie as long as you didn't pay attention to wait a second, why didn't they just do that? Because the movie only would have been twelve minutes long. Oh, okay. That's Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So things are about to start getting real weird anyway. Cause now we're gonna switch over to a scene where Riker and Troy are just hanging out reading information about the Sona. <laughs> And Troy's like all over him. <laughs> now I've never read anything about Frakes uh, uh, having a thing for <laughs> serious, but it really seems like he was like, Hey, uh, you guys want to write in a couple uh lovey dovey things for us? <laughs> it's like, I know we've always kind of will they, won't they on TNG, but I think it's time. Let's make this happen. My wife just had three major love scenes. <laughs> on days of our lives. And you know what? (laughs) I'm going to show her how it feels. Right. (laughs) Oh my goodness. They started talking about the Sona. So they're talking about the Sona. Hey, these guys are, are badasses. They fought with us in the uh, dominion war. Um, They enslaved some other, uh, some other races and integrated them into their blah, 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 blah. And then they go on the thing and then they produced a bunch of Ketracel white. Okay. So, Ketracel white, to my knowledge, is basically just a control substance for the Jem'Hadar, which are the warriors that the Dominion use to fight. Uh-huh. And they use Ketracel white as a way to control these soldiers. The soldiers can't survive without it. And if they go too long without having it, they will die. And so this is basically kind of a ransom thing that the Dominion uses for the gem Hadar. So why I don't understand why are the Sona producing it? So, okay. So the Sona are not only producing this, they also suggest that they've been making it for a long time. Yes. Starfleet had never heard of Ketracel white until they entered the gamma quadrant. Yes. There's a huge problem. With this. <laughs> <laughs> Unless, it just so happens Ketracel white was being produced in the gamma quadrant and the alpha quadrant. And they just didn't know what it did in the alpha quadrant. <laughs> they were like, Hey, this stuff's stuff? pretty good on I toast. Know. 
right? <laughs> I don't know. We've, we've been lubricating like blenders with it. I don't really know what it's for. All I'm telling you is I'm in on the ground floor and someday this stuff's going to take off and I'm right? going to be sitting in the catbird seat. So laugh <laughs> all you want to. But you know, there's some Sona supply coordinator who's like, <laughs> suddenly, I, have you guys heard of these Gem Hatter people? They, they just ordered all of our lubricant. I don't really know what's going on here, but they must have a lot of blenders. <laughs> it just seemed like a really odd, it was one of those throwing lines of, why did you throw that line in? Because right. none of that made any sense. Right. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, no, they, they make counterfeit Klingon blood wine. That's what they do. <laughs> yeah, there you that, go. That, Still that evil. Worked, that that would have worked right? so much better. Still evil. <laughs> uh, so our next scene is Worf. And Worf is laying in bed. And all of a sudden, all the clocks in the room start going off. And he's like, <laughs> damn it. I'm late for school. <laughs> We're getting a little too meta here. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but of course, being being as sensitive I am to these things, Picard has to uh, make the crack of, I don't know how to do things on Deep Space Nine. It's like, yeah, oh. just a blatant Cisco knock. Blatant. Right? I don't know. I It just, I don't understand why they did this. It just didn't fit anything. Yes. Right? I Later, they start to touch on this stuff, but it was so disconnected. It didn't work. Yes. It just was like, oh, Warp Slate. So what? <laughs> this is dumb. <laughs> we we threw a scene in there we thought was going to get an easy laugh. And, but it was just like, but this, none of this makes any yeah. sense. It was just dumb. <laughs> now I did like that Warp totally had his disheveled, um, you know, I'm devolving or something <laughs> look to him, which he always got on, on TNG. So I, I guess it just worked. <laughs> So after, after Picard gets off his, I am such a jerk call, (laughs) then he, he looks at an ensign. He's like, Hey, Hey, you suck at your job. You know how I know? (laughs) Cause I can hear the, the phase variance. Seriously. This, this is, this reminded me of that scene from crocodile Dundee where, uh, he walks by the guy, looks at the guy's watch, and then steps forward next to the reporter and goes, "Oh yeah, it's one o'clock. I can tell from the sun." This is exactly this is right. this is Picard doing that. Totally. I, I saw you know, I saw it, something on the phase variant, so I'm going to say, "Oh, I can hear that. Can't you hear that?" Exactly. And he's he's complaining about a phase variance from a sensor, <laughs> so a device that's listening to things. He's like, "Oh yeah, I hear it. I don't." think that's real anything <laughs> maybe, maybe this was maybe this was supposed to set up his interest in in Hanish later that he was like trying to kind of you know impress the the female ensign right you know maybe he was just feeling Which, his age and he wanted to you know look how cool again gross now you know in <laughs> in all seriousness though i think picard kind of does this a couple times throughout the series uh, you know, he's, he's got those moments where he's like, Oh no, no, I'm actually a very good pilot and has to pilot a, a shuttle or he'll be like, no, no, let's go fence. Cause I'm an excellent fencer. <laughs> it's just yeah, all these, these times where he's everything. like, did you know I'm good at stuff? Cause <laughs> I'm, I'm not just a guy who stands here and talks. I'm also good at things. I have my own saddle. 
<laughs> Poor Tuvok. Oh. <laughs> so the view screen comes on just out of nowhere. I don't know. Somebody turned it on. <laughs> and it's Admiral Doherty and F. Marie Abraham. Didn't, I mean, didn't Admiral Doherty, Doherty and, and put a cover on the camera so this sort of thing wouldn't happen? Is it? Uh, the problem is there's always an ensign who's sliding the little thing over <laughs> and then you can see the camera again. They always forget to close it again. <laughs> they got to do it my way and put a little piece of electrical tape on there. So, <laughs> so Doherty's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and Picard's, uh, but it's, Picard is basically, you know, I, I know he's being a jerk, but he's my buddy. If, if, if you just, if, if you let me, take him home. I'm sure he won't bother anybody anymore. Well, and I, it's great that like the Admiral's like, why are you here? I told you not to come here. That was a direct order. Picard's like, yeah, but I came to get my friend. And he's like, all right. <laughs> and <laughs> You've convinced me. He's like, no, I want to kill him. What, what, what part of I want to kill him? Did you guys not get right? No, yeah, no. This leads I, me to this question though. We don't know what's going on yet. But we know something weird is going on. Why would you, Admiral Doherty, when you're trying to run a heavily covert situation, say, yeah, that's fine. Have have this android show up and look around. Well, I mean, we'll get to that in, in a little bit later. But yeah, it, it's true. He should know better. Data is kind of a big deal. <laughs> yes, that's... He kind of can see like everything. <laughs> and, you know, I also love that he's like, all right, look, you got 12 hours after 12 hours. I expect you to get the hell out of here. <laughs> no reason. Nothing sketchy's going on. I swear. <laughs> all right, folks, that is, that. that's the end of part one. Uh, we're going to get together in a little bit later and we're going to continue with part two and we're going to find out all the hilarity that ensues now that the car has shown up. Uh, yeah. I did want to take a minute and say thank you to our friends over at five year mission for the use of their song beam down as our intro and outro music. Thank you. Uh, please make sure you head on over to fiveyearmission.net and check out their stuff. Uh, they do, uh, a song for every episode of the original series and group them together into albums for each season. It's really cool stuff. Really um, cool. Also just found out you can get them on Apple music as well. And please help support them. They are really, really cool. Uh, with that said, we will talk to y'all next time. Talk to you next time.